Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. And now if you'll please join in the words for lighting the chalice. They're printed in your order of service, but also projected. We light this chalice. Now I'll ask you to listen, to take a deep breath, settle yourself into your seat, take a deep breath, and then listen for the sounds of life around you, the rustling of bodies Feel the air as it's pushed through the space by our breathing in and out. See if you can detect the barest hinting sounds of life outside. Listen for the steady beat of your heart, the heartbeat of your companions. And just be here now in this moment. Breathe. And listen. Last night, I was able to come by for just of the few of the films at the North Jersey Human Rights Film Festival, which was put on here by this congregation the last two nights. The very first short film as providence or luck would have it, was about empathy and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And in this short film, the voiceover read words written by the filmmaker's mother, Sarah Ben Evensong, who was an author and artist. And those words of hers were interspersed, it seemed, with words of his, the filmmaker, whose name is Adam Stone. The ones that struck me last night as I thought about today's sermon on imagination and empathy were these. You have to start with empathy and never lose it. It's the only thing that makes love that gives, not love that only takes. Books witness. They tell our stories about who we are and how we live, individually and as a people. What do I have that I can offer to others? Wanting to know them, to understand them. Bury the rest, keep only that, and strive... Strive to know all other hearts as well as you know your own. Those are the words that struck me last night. Love that gives, not love that only takes. With a desire to know others as well as we know ourselves. That's what we strive for here. That's who we strive to be. At the heart of that striving is indeed empathy. That capacity to feel with another person to align ourselves with their living and being so much that we feel with them. Empathy is the key to the kind of love that changes the world. Mindful that empathy is a tool we must continue to hone, 
aware that love is a necessary force for change and committed to knowing ourselves deeply and coming to know others deeply, we gather together this morning. Take some deep breaths. Spirit of life, of love, of being, we gather on this Mother's Day mindful of the complexity of motherhood. We gather with gratitude, with sorrow, with compassion, and with hope. We give thanks for the mothers we have known, mothers by blood or of the heart, mothers who go by that name or who we call grandma, aunt, friend, mentor, people of compassion and gentleness and love. We give thanks for the lessons they taught us, their part in shaping us, their presence in our lives. We also sit in sorrow with those whose relationships with their mothers are fraught, violent, unkind, and we hope that they might find peace. We sit in sorrow with those whose beloved mothers have died. And we hope that they find ways to hold tight to cherished memories. And we sit in sorrow with those mothers whose children have died. And we hope they know their gifts of mothering are still needed in this world. We lift up with compassion those who wish to be mothers in body but who aren't, those who never wanted to be mothers but became them anyway, all those who have had to make difficult choices for the sake of a child. With hope, we pray for a world in which all choices are respected, the choice to give birth or not, the choice to raise a child or not. We pray for a world in which the word mother is understood broadly, not narrowly, conveying kindness, compassion, gentleness, nurturing, and love. In the silence, we offer our own gratitudes. May this day and every day be for all of us, filled with the best of motherly virtues, filled with abundant motherly love. So may it be. Amen. So as we acknowledged in our quiet reflection time, today is Mother's Day. And despite having an amazing mom and being a mom myself, I'm feeling pretty uninspired about today. And I realized it's because, and I'm going to be super blunt right here, I've been feeling uninspired in general. And I was chatting it through with a colleague, and in that chatting it became clear to me and to her why I was feeling uninspired. 
And it's because there are some real struggles going on in this moment in our world that are making it very hard to feel settled and moved and motivated. So most obviously, perhaps, it is May 12th, and it is 40-something degrees outside right now. So the weather has not exactly been cooperating to give us that warm springtime feeling with time outside and the sunshine. And while the weather being off is annoying, the underlying reality is much more challenging than it is annoying, right? The weather has been off and will continue to become increasingly different from what we all have known because of climate change. Short autumns, cold, wet springtime, summers that feel unbearable, bitter winters that last and last. So it's just the weather, but it carries so much more as it forces us to confront what we have done and continue to do to this planet. Then there is, and I find this especially challenging on Mother's Day, the heartbeat laws that have been passing in certain states. I'm sure many of you have seen this. There are a handful of states that are passing laws that make it illegal to have an abortion after a heartbeat can be detected in a fetus, which is approximately at like six weeks, well before many women even know that they're pregnant. And in one of those states in Georgia, the law actually allows for the prosecution of women who have a miscarriage. Think about that one for a second. I know. The new laws are a way to work around Roe v. Wade in anticipation of the repeal that many across the country hope for. It's disheartening. I have had the privilege, thanks in part to many of you and countless others who worked for women's rights, I have had the privilege to grow up in a time when abortion was safe and legal and available. And it's hard for me to imagine what will happen with these laws or if there's a broader repeal. But I know that some of you lived through such times and probably feel even more than I do a deep fear of what a return to those times will look like. This current, this attack on women's bodily autonomy is more than disheartening because it carries with it the weight of all that patriarchy and misogyny and anger that we've been experiencing forever. And there was yet another school shooting And I'm sure you've seen the images of the young children being evacuated that are just heartbreaking images to see. And I don't know if you heard the interview of that 12-and-a-half-year-old boy, I think it was maybe on CNN, who described hiding first with his class behind the teacher's desk and then in the closet. And he went on to say that he grabbed a metal baseball bat because if he was going down, he was going down fighting. That's a 12-and-a-half-year-old boy talking about what he'd try to do in the face of a gun. And that's just one of like hundreds of school shootings that have happened in the last 20 years. And we've done so little as a nation to address it. In all these years, we've barely improved the care of our children and youth, and we've refused to step up on gun control in meaningful ways. And there's so much more on the national stage, the continued separation of families and deportation, the continued racism and transphobia, the international turn to nationalism. I could keep going for the next 20 minutes on the state of the world alone. And here in this congregation, we have had deaths and memorials and a budget drive that fell short and is dragging on as we wait for folks to get pledges in. These are normal things in the course of congregational life, but they bring sadness and worry and anxiety. Add all of that to the personal griefs and struggles that all of us face, Complex relationships, missed opportunities, hopes unfulfilled, anxieties about finances or the future— It's no wonder it can be hard to feel inspired. 
It's no wonder we can feel like our emotions are close to the surface, like at the slightest touch we might just shatter. And it's no wonder we can find it hard to come out of ourselves. When there is that much to feel about, sometimes it's easier to just look down, stay inside, to hide a bit. I like that video we watched earlier, The Importance of Empathy. I especially like its recognition that we are so often face down in our phones or on our computers, burying ourselves in the news cycles that produce anxiety and fear or busying ourselves by focusing entirely on ourselves. Me, 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 the little avatar kept writing over and over. My thoughts, my opinions, my worries and fears and hurts and hopes. And yes, we all need time to focus on our lives and to process and sort through and figure out. That is valuable time. But sometimes the only way to find joy again, the only way to beat back that close-to-the-surface shattery feeling, is to step out of that narrow focus and turn our attention outward, elsewhere. In some ways it may feel counterintuitive and it's definitely hard work, but turning outward is often what saves us. Just yesterday, Martin pointed me toward a piece in the New York Times by opinion writer David Brooks. And the piece was about the difference between happiness and joy. And in it, Brooks writes, happiness usually involves a victory for the self. Joy tends to involve the transcendence of self. Happiness comes from accomplishments. Joy comes when your heart is in another. Joy is the present that life gives you as you give away your gifts. So Martin mentioned it to me because he was thinking about our theme of nourishment this month and how often we consider nourishment as something we receive, something we take in. But Marty made the point that through Brooks's lens, we can also gain nourishment by giving. The line resonated with me because it speaks to that need to look beyond ourselves, to come out of our tiny points of focus and engage with others, invest in others, understand others. Joy comes when your heart is in another. Spiritual nourishment, deep and honest and real joy, comes when you align yourself lovingly with others and feel with them. And we do that with this tool that we have, empathy. Empathy is part of what makes us humans, and some other apes as well, special. Truly few creatures can accomplish this thing called empathy. In a TEDx talk, a social worker named Shelley Richardson describes mirror neurons, which were mentioned in that video, and she describes how they were first identified. In the 1990s, an Italian researcher put electrodes on a monkey and watched what happened to the monkey's brain when that monkey watched another one peel and eat a banana. The first monkey, the one with the electrodes on, that monkey's brain lit up in just the same way as if he were the one peeling and eating the banana. The same thing happens to humans. We see someone yawn, we want to yawn. We see someone smile, it makes us smile. We see someone get hurt, we cringe as if we were the ones experiencing the pain. Those are the mirror neurons engaging as our empathy is engaged. Scientists theorize, as Richardson shares in this talk, that we developed these mirror neurons exactly because we are social animals that thrive in community. We need connection, we crave it, 
It helps us survive. And the way to build it is through this mirror neuron empathic response that helps us both feel what another is feeling and then develop a response out of that feeling. So Richardson um, has her audience do a exercise in this TEDx talk, and we're going to do it to here. So I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you. You don't have to like get out of your seat or anything. Just, just turn toward them. Okay, now, if your back is to Fellowship Hall, so when you turn, if your back is this way, if you're facing this way, I'm going to ask you to scowl, just the meanest scowl you can muster, and see what happens to your partner. Mean scowl. Okay. So, okay, okay, okay. So partners of the scowlers, everyone, <laughs> if you were scowled at, if you were the partner that was scowled at, what did you want to do? Did you scowl back? Did you laugh to try to ease your partner's tension? It was laughter? Okay, okay. So your mirror neurons getting to work doesn't necessarily mean that you mimic perfectly what the other person does. It means you feel the feeling and you maybe want to dissipate it by laughing to try to ease the scowl, right? Okay, now, if your back is this way, I'm going to ask you to look at your partner and you're going to go ahead and smile your biggest, widest, most joyful smile at your partner. <laughs> okay. Partners, what did that make you want to do? Smile back? Hug them? Did anybody get an urge to hug their partner? <laughs> Maybe. Ask them why they're so happy, right? Mirror neurons help us relate and react to the people around us. They help us understand and embody what another is feeling, and then they help dictate our responses to those feelings. When I was young, I remember distinctly um, the first book that really cut straight to my heart. And I'm, I'm sure some of you have memories like this. I was up late in my bed one night reading Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls. Okay, so some people know this. I had on my nightlight, I'm sure it was well past my bedtime, but I could not stop reading this book. And by the time I got to the end, I was like weeping, right? If any of you have read this one. I remember going into my mom's room in tears. I didn't want to be alone, right? In reading this book, I had become so wrapped up in the characters. I'd become part of the story. The dogs had become mine, and the sorrow had become mine, right? It's the first clear memory I have of the way that imagination can help us to exercise our empathy. I'm sure all of you have movies and books that never fail to make you excited or happy or sad or angry along with the characters. The movie Field of Dreams is another one for me. I don't know how you feel about that one. Unfailingly, I feel the sadness and then the melancholy and then the hope at the end. Books, television, movies, these are stories that help us learn how to feel. It push us to understand experiences that are not our own. They push us beyond our narrow self-focus and ask us to become part of narratives that are not ours. But they ask us to take them on and make them ours. There's such an amazing value in imaginative work and our engagement with it. Not just the work of engaging with fiction and movies that 
ask us to expand our experience, but also with the work of imagining stories and worlds on our own, right? So the work of daydreaming and fantasy. And kids know that more instinctively than adults do. The author, Ursula Le Guin, recognized that when she wrote this. I believe that maturity is not an outgrowing, but a growing up. That an adult is not a dead child, but a child who survived. I believe that all the best faculties of a mature human being exist in the child, and that if these faculties are encouraged in youth, they will act well and wisely in the adult. But if they are repressed and denied in the child, they will stunt and cripple the adult personality. And finally, I believe that one of the most deeply human and humane of these faculties is the power of imagination, so that it is our pleasant duty as librarians or teachers or parents or writers or simply as grown-ups to encourage that faculty of imagination in our children, to encourage it to grow freely, to flourish like the green bay tree by giving it the best, absolutely the best and purest nourishment that it can absorb and never under any circumstances to squelch it or sneer at it or imply that it is childish or unmanly or untrue. And she goes on, for fantasy is true, of course. It isn't factual, but it is true. Children know that, adults know it too, and that is precisely why many of them are afraid of fantasy. They know that its truth challenges, even threatens, all that is false, all that is phony, unnecessary, and trivial in the life they have let themselves be forced into living. They are afraid of dragons because they are afraid of freedom. It's like an amazing passage. We can forget that the value of imagination is not escapism, though that can be nice at times. We all enjoy occasionally getting out of the lives that we have let ourselves be forced into living. But imagination is so much more than escapism. As we grow older, we can come to think of imagination as child's play, but the vital work of imaginative play and also work of, works of art that engage our imagination is nothing less than the strengthening of our empathic muscles so that we can be free in the world, in deep relationship with others, so that we can make connections and offer giving love and build community and take our heads out of our phones and recognize the oneness and interdependence of all things. We can become afraid of the power of connecting because when we connect, we're asked to get very real, to go deep. And it can be easier to avoid these things, to stay in ourselves or to stay on the surface as we interact with others, seeing them as separate from us. Those separations and walls can feel like they make life easier. Declaring someone as other, not having to consider their life or experiences or needs, being sure of our rightness, it can be easier. Because having your heart engaged all the time, on your own behalf and on behalf of others, can be exhausting. But I honestly don't know how else we live as deeply as we know we can. Sharon Salzberg, in that reading, declares empathy a moral issue, and it is. Without it... We live surface lives that lack real connection and become self-focused and separatist. To live a deeply moral life, one that is spiritually engaged and honest and loving, we need to live empathy on a regular basis. And it does get easier the more you do it. There are ways to strengthen empathy, deepen our capacity to feel along with others. 
The website that produced the video has a piece by a writer named Chad Fowler that offers some other ways to practice, echoed also in that video. The first is to actually really, truly listen. Listen carefully to others, to their conversation and to their stories, and don't spend the time that you are listening readying your rejoinder. Conversation isn't an argument or a debate to be won. It's a deep listening to someone else's perspective and experience and life. Another way to strengthen it is to take some time away from the phone and the computer. Look up, look around, take in the people around you. Let yourself be part of the place and time that you are in and engage that place and time by sharing of yourself as well in real time, not online. And then let go of the idea that your perspective is the only one, let alone the right one. Try to see things from a different perspective regularly by stopping yourself, even when you are super confident about something, stopping yourself and trying on a different perspective. Imagine someone else's viewpoint, someone else's life experience or position and how that might change the way you see things. Use your imagination to put yourself in someone else's shoes in any given moment so that you can expand your capacity to see things differently. Those are tools you can use in conversation with others out in the world. You'll find that you make more connections, make more real relationships when you let yourself engage in that deeper way. But it's also true that we can continue to exercise empathy by engaging our imaginations through art and fiction and music. Because these things help even us adults remember that there is so much more than just what is inside us. They help us to face our fears. They help us to hold deep truths. Because in fiction, in stories, in fantasy, as Le Guin writes, there is truth. So think back, remember that book that moved you as a child, or that musical whose songs take you completely outside of yourself, or the movie that asks you to stretch beyond what is comfortable for you, and go find that book and read it again, or take out that CD or however you listen to music these days and play it. Go see a movie that's going to ask you to move beyond yourself, and then ask your friends to tell you more about themselves. Not just opinions and facts, okay? But their stories, their memories. Ask them to give you those, the feelings that came with it, and then share your own. And then let yourself daydream, like for real. Let yourself invent a story, write it down, or tell it to somebody. Get your own imagination working, because although it may seem simple, we don't actually do this regularly as adults. Choose one that you don't ever do, right? If you're an avid reader, don't go read another book. Choose something you don't normally do to stretch your empathy. And then see if looking outward in this way is nourishing, centering. See if it brings you joy to connect with others in this different kind of way. Because the world is hard. <laughs> it is rough out there. But even in my moments of lowest inspiration... I absolutely believe this to be true. No matter how rough it gets, when we look to each other, when we align ourselves with each other, with love, when we connect in real and deep and meaningful ways, we can find joy again. We can find joy in the knowledge that we are not alone. 
We can find joy in the knowledge that our hearts can be given in love to help others and that others stand ready to give their hearts to us. There is joy to be had, so let's find it together. May we strive ever to know ourselves deeply and to know others just as deeply, offering empathy and love in abundance so that all might experience joy in our human connections and interdependence. So may it be. Please remain standing and join in the words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish the flame. burn bright in our hearts until we are together again. As benediction today, I offer the words of my colleague, Wayne Arneson. Take courage, friends. The way is often hard, the path is never clear, and the stakes are very high. Take courage, for deep down there is another truth. You are not alone. Go in peace.